Uh, well, good morning, guys. Uh, when I was uh, asked to preach, they told me that I had 30 minutes to preach, but they didn't tell me if they were American minutes or Honduran minutes. So uh, if I go a little bit longer, you know why. All right. So um, I did a little bit of research on pain and uh, the Urban Dictionary defines pain as uh, an annoying person. All right. An annoying person. All right, um, how many of you guys can actually identify with this definition? All right, anybody? No? All right. Okay, how many of you guys know somebody in your dorm that fits this definition? Okay, a few of you. Okay, how many of you guys, that person is sitting next to you? No, okay, don't raise your hand, all right? Don't. Um, you know, when I think about pain, I actually think of an experience I had uh, when I was about 12 years old. And... Uh, um, my wife disagrees with me. I think that it's okay to share this experience with you guys in this audience. But I don't know if I can say it without blushing, okay? But when I was 12 years old, I was uh, riding my bike in front of my house. And a couple of my friends uh, were just uh, standing across the street from my house. For some reason, I decided just to go on my bike on, in circles. So I'm going around and around while they're there uh, talking and watching me. But for some reason, I just uh, got up of my bike, right? And I uh, started pedaling, standing up. When all of a sudden, that chain came off and my right foot just slipped to the side. And my entire body fell on the frame of the bike. All right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I had this excruciating pain. And at the moment, I didn't know what to do. I had a couple of options, right? Option one was to get off my bike, try to ignore the pain, maybe put the chain back on and walk home, or just get off the bike, you know, ignore the pain, and just walk my bike all the way to my house, right? And it was painful. And as I look back, you know, to my friends, they're just there standing laughing at me. All right, laughing at me. And, and I didn't only have physical pain at the moment, but I had this emotional pain that my ego had been crushed. And as I, I saw them laughing at me, I'm like, dude, this is not funny at all. Trust me. All right, this is not funny. But I thought about that for a minute because I wonder why, you know, I know maybe you've thought about this, but why is it that we laugh at pain sometimes? Have you noticed that? Like my wife and I, we like to watch uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. And uh, there's some, maybe you've watched some of these videos, but um, you are thinking, man, don't do that. This is a bad idea. Okay, don't. But then, you know, we're kind of feeling the pain. And then when it happens, it's like, ha, 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 ha. That was funny, right? <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, why do we laugh at pain? I think it is because, you know, we realize that it's, uh, it's momentary. We realize that it's not forever. We, we know that it's going to take just maybe a couple of hours, maybe a few minutes, you know, a, a few days, but the person is going to be okay. But otherwise, you know, if we knew that the person was not going to be okay, uh, it, the mood shifts and it changes. It is not funny anymore. But you know, sometimes though, pain can be momentary, but sometimes pain does not go away. I read earlier this, this year about this lady called Angela Kinecki, and she is a news anchor in South Dakota who decided to put the lens on herself to report the death of her 21-year-old daughter who had died of an overdose. 
She had been struggling with drug addiction for about a year. And her mom, Angela, was trying to, uh, to help uh, it, the best way she could. But it was too late. And she said, if just one person hears me, if just one person does one thing to save a life, then I don't care about a million naysayers or people who don't understand. I just care about that one mother that I can stop from experiencing the pain that I have. And then she says, as a mom, I have a hole in my heart that will always be there. It is never going to heal. I have other children that I love. I have a, uh, I have a husband that I love. But nothing and nobody can replace the loss of my oldest child. Did you get that? Nobody or nothing can replace. Pain. Pain. Uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, actually in 2011, a catastrophic EF5 tornado touched down here in this town. And the loss was monumental, you know. But about 154 people died and uh, over 1,100 people uh, were injured. There's a lot of cool stuff here in this town now. But for those who were affected, maybe some of you here, for those who were affected, the pain will never go away. I was reading about human trafficking, and um, some sources say that about 40.3 million uh, people are victims of human trafficking globally. You know, in the U.S. Uh, alone, there's about 40,000 cases, and these cases uh, are usually more than one people. Uh, 75% are women, and another 20% are kids. And, you know, as people that, are, that come out of uh, uh, human trafficking, their pain is not going to magically disappear. See, pain is sometimes permanent, and it does not go away. And sometimes I think, you know, that we have these elephant-sized uh, pains that are like drug addiction, or disease, death, natural disasters, and evil. Some of you are living with those pains today. You know, you someday, you, one day you just woke up and you realized, all right, it hit you. And it's not going to go away. Some of you are dealing with that kind of stuff today. I think that most of you maybe are dealing with some kind of pain that looks a little bit different. That it's like a million little things that are sucking the life out of you. It is like um, uh, the stress of school. Maybe it's the bill at the end of the semester. Maybe it is the guilt of the past. Maybe it's the fear of failure. Maybe it's the worry of tomorrow maybe it is the loss of a dream you had this idea that you were going to grow up and be something or have something and all of a sudden you have to let go of it maybe it's the pain of rejection or the pain of loneliness see if the stats are right there are some of you here right now whose hearts are breaking and they're breaking so much that it was all you could do to get out of bed this morning See, and in spite of, of your age and the gender, your gender, the color of your skin, or your socioeconomic status, in spite of how much you plan or we plan or how careful we are, in spite of how hard we work or how much kale we eat or how much yoga we do, in spite of all of that, what is true of everybody in this room and true for all humanity is that we will all experience 
pain. Nobody is exempt. We will go through pain. And God, you know, God has a lot to say uh, about this topic. Scriptures like uh, Psalm 90 verse uh, 10 that say 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Psalm 23 is our go-to passage for comfort, but Psalm 22 tells us what David is going through. And he says, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away? I'm scorned and despised. Everyone mocks me. You know, examples of people like Abraham who had a dysfunctional family. Isaac was uh, deceived by his own son. Joseph was uh, sold by his brothers. Rahab lost her home. Ruth lost her husband. Solomon was dealing with depression. John was exiled. Paul has a long list of pain and suffering. And then, and, and then Jesus, who suffered for you and me. But I think the best example of suffering, or maybe the most famous example of suffering, is, is Job. Tim Keller said, There is no piece of literature in the whole world that addresses the great question of suffering with the intellectual integrity and with the emotional and spiritual wisdom as the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't we jump to Job chapter 1. If not, you can follow along. And we're not going to read much, but we're going to focus on a few verses. Job 1 verse 1 reads like this. He says, Job was a blameless person, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. Verse 3 says, he was in fact the richest person in the entire area. All right, I'm thinking when I read stuff like this, it's like, okay, he, I, I bet he wasn't perfect, but man, this is a pretty good biography of this guy, right? He, he's wealthy and he's, uh, he's has integrity. You know, God, he focuses on things that are pertain to God. You know, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I feel like everywhere I've lived in every town, there's been like uh, an individual, maybe a family that is well off. And you meet this family, or maybe you haven't met them, but you meet a group of people, and they say, oh man, you have no idea what that individual or that family who is, you know, well off, everybody knows in town, you have no idea what they've done for the church or our community. And, and then maybe sometimes you find another group of people that are like, oh man, they're throwing shade. They're like, you have no idea what kind of people they are. You have no idea how they got to where they're at. But for Job, that is not the case. You know, he has found favor in the eyes of God. I, I can see that. It's, you know, that's, that's easy in my opinion. But he has also found favor in the eyes of people. Now, that's a big, big deal. And I think that especially in our context, you know, future youth ministers, pastors, leaders, preachers, whatever you want to be or whatever you're doing today, it is very easy for us sometimes to deceive ourselves and think that we are okay with God. We're okay, you know, doing our, our stuff, serving God, doing our devo, reading scripture, going to chapel, whatever that is. And then we turned around and we treat people as if they are second class citizens of God's kingdom. But Job, Job is the real deal. Verse 8 says, he's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless. He's a man of of complete integrity. 
he fears God and he stays away from evil. All right, that, those are God's words about, about Job. Okay, so think about this for a moment. If you know this story, uh, the, the, this um, heavenly court comes before God and the accuser, Satan, comes uh, with this group and, and God asks them, hey, where have you, where have you come from? And Satan says, well, uh, we've been patrolling the earth. We've been watching what's going on. And it's almost like, you know, God has been waiting for a moment like this. It's almost like he feels so proud about, uh, about Job that he just wants to tell the world, right? And when, when he comes, you know, those are the words that he says. He says, have you, seen, have you seen Job? You know, he's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. At the same time, I think that Satan uh, or the accuser has been waiting for this opportunity. You know, when he hears these words, it's almost like, you know, I don't know what he looks like. But he probably smiles and he says, of course you think he loves you. Of course, man, he loves, he loves the things he's getting from you. He loves the money, he loves the status, he loves the benefits. God, Job is using you. Take away all the stuff that you have given to him, and you'll know who he really is. See, Satan, I think, he understands that human beings have the tendency to use others to get ahead. I mean, some of you know what it looks like. Maybe you go to an event, a party, and there's a person that approaches you at the event, and they start a conversation with you, and their gesture makes you feel good. Oh, wow, they came to me to talk to me. But then you realize you were not being befriended. You were being networked. You know, some of you, uh, young ladies, you have met that guy who is very friendly to you at first, but when he finds out that you're not going to sleep with him, They're gone. See, Satan isn't wrong. Somebody said that maybe the only way to be sure we're serving God for him alone and not for what we're getting out of it is to be in a condition where serving God gives us nothing. I wonder how many of you would still serve God if you knew you would get absolutely nothing. God says to Satan, go ahead, you know, test him. So with God's permission, Job loses everything, including all his children, uh, on the same day. And Job's response at the end of this chapter, in verse 21, is, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. That would have been a good ending, I think. A pretty good one. But it gets worse for Job. He goes through a painful physical condition. He's been misunderstood by his friends. And then uh, uh, his wife and him start to have disagreements. And then all the emotional struggle that comes with that. uh, You know, like um, loneliness and depression. And he has no idea why he is suffering. But then towards the end of the book, God reminds Job of his power and his presence. And Job's response is one of great character and humility. He says, I had only heard about you before. You catch that? I had only heard about you before. 
He says, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I love, I love that, uh, that sentence. I love that phrase because sometimes it is only, I think, through pain that we can truly see God. Or that we can truly see another dimension, another part of who God is. You know, two years ago in 2016, uh, uh, we moved from Indianapolis, Indiana to start a church in, in, in uh, Orlando, Florida. And, um, but it was on April of this year that uh, I stepped down. And this has been the hardest, most painful season of my life. And yet it has been one of the happiest. I remember that as I stepped down, people were asking me, Julio, are you burnt with ministry? And I'm like, absolutely not. I love God. I love people. I love ministry. This is what's exciting for my life. I want to be involved in God, whatever God is doing. Um, but not being in ministry has allowed me, you know, to seek God's face in a way I've never gone after him before. You know, because I've had the time, you know, I've, I, I, I've been able to reach out to him and seek to him and read, read his word and get in tune with him. Um, and I don't think I had the time before to do that. And the way I can explain this, it's almost as if, as if I've been living in this house and I know, you know, the living room and I know every single room of the house. I've been a Christian pretty much all my life. So I know God. I went to, you know, Sunday school class. I went to church and I've been in the church environment all my life. And I feel like I, I know him. If somebody had asked me, do you know God? I would say, yes, absolutely. But randomly, one day for me, it's been in the previous months. It's, it's almost like if I just was in a room and a closet and I found this attic. And I had no idea there was an attic in this house. And the attic is almost as, as big as the size of the house. And I get up there and it's like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Man, God, I, I felt like I knew you, but man, there is so much more. And I can't wait to explore and to get to know you even more. See, Job knew God, but after his suffering, he saw God. So why pain? I imagine you're probably want an answer to that question. Why pain? I have no idea. All right. No idea. Why you or why me? No clue. No clue. Um, I have no idea. Uh, actually, in a way, I feel very inadequate to be talking about this topic. Because I know people who have gone through so much more that I've gone through. You know, I can think of, of people that I met in this campus, in school, that, uh, I mean, something catastrophic happened to them in their lives, and it has never gone away. And for me, to be honest, I think of them of some of my heroes of the faith, because they've stayed faithful to God. My problems, guys, my problems are not like an elephant size problem my problems are more like a million little things that are sucking the life out of me but they are in the words of one of my best friends first world problems right it's like the refrigerator went out go buy a new one right the car breaks okay take it to the shop you don't like the guy whose company who's doing your lawn call somebody else 
And I feel stressed, right? I'm like, what am I going to do? In a way, I feel so inadequate. But what do we do with pain? Because to be honest, I'm living in this in this side right now where my issues and my pain, it's like a million little things, right? That, I mean, it can't be painful. But I think that maybe someday I'm going to be on this other side too. Because nobody is exempt. Nobody is exempt. So I don't know. I don't know why pain. I don't know why you. I don't know why me. But I think that from the passage, I can conclude a couple of things. And I think the one thing that I can conclude from this passage is, do not try to rationalize pain. It's interesting to me that in all this story, you know, Satan and God or the accuser and God, they know exactly what's going on, right? And at the beginning of the chapter, it's almost like, God, why are you guys playing this game? This is not funny. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about what you're going to do to Job, right? And Job has absolutely no idea of what is going on. And I think that sometimes we try to rationalize our pain and we think, man, if I had just done that different, if I had gone to that, if I had met this person, if I have, and you start to rationalize, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. Sometimes we just want to think, you know what, pain is just random. And if it hit you, man, uh, sorry, unlucky, you know. But I think that Job suggests that Those two views are absolutely wrong. He's like, do not try to rationalize your pain because every time that we assume that if we had done something different or if things are just random, that the control is in us or somebody else that is not God. But in this story, God was in full and complete control. So don't rationalize your pain. Second, I think that you keep your eyes open to those in pain. I feel like your generation has been accused of being selfish. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know of any generation in the whole world that has never been selfish, okay? But I tell you that I am so excited when I get to see you guys doing what God has called you to do. I don't know of any other generation who's so passionate about, about social justice and about eradicating hunger and about, you know, bringing um, clean water to places where there's no clean water. And you just follow your heart and your passion and you see something that is not right and your heart breaks and you go after it. And that's awesome. That's great. Keep your eyes open to those in pain, you know, because maybe God has put you in a position right now where you can do something. And I encourage you to continue to do what God is putting in your heart. You are a great example for our, for our world. Keep your eyes open. You know, don't try to rationalize pain. Second, keep your eyes open to those in pain. And third, when you're going through pain, cling to God. Cling to God. Um, it was a it was move in day 
um, in Orlando a couple of years ago, and uh, my wife and I, we were, you know, arranging uh, our guest room, and we're putting just the furniture in place, we're exhausted, kids are jumping on the bed that we just set up, and, and they are, we're like, they could get hurt, but you know what? It's whatever. We're tired. You know what I mean? And uh, so, so they're jumping. And our, our three-year-old at the time, she somehow she slips off the bed and she hits the windowsill with her, with her lip. And he cuts through her lip, right? Immediately she starts crying. And then, and then we just grab her. We go to the urgent care uh, facility. And uh, you know, we're there. And as we're going uh, into the place, into the building, I just tell my wife, honey, Let's not kid ourselves. Um, you know who's the strongest of us in situations like this. So I'll wait in the waiting room. You go in with my daughter. Okay. So, so she goes. She goes voluntarily. I stay in the waiting room. Everything's okay. You know, 15 minutes to 20 minutes after, um, they call help from the back uh, to the front desk and say, hey, can we have some help? And I just see this nurse just run to the back. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? And then five minutes later, this nurse comes and says, sir, um, we're going we're gonna to need your help. And I'm like, man, I'm useless for this. Why am I even here? And what could possibly be going on? And I walk to the back. And as I go to the back, I just see my daughter on the table. And she's, she's pale and white. And then I raise my eyes. And my wife is just waking up because she had passed out on the couch over there. <laughs> And I'm like, man, we're useless. We're both useless. We learned that. We're both useless. You know what I mean? In this situation. It's not good for a family. You know what? (laughs) But you know, even when we're useless, our two daughters, every time they get hurt, every single time they get hurt, they come to us. And we hold them. And they cling to us. They not just put their arms around us. It's almost like they give you a big squeeze. And they're like, I'm not going to go anywhere and they're there and i'm thinking man and we're useless or what are we gonna do all i can do is say honey i love you so much honey it's going to be okay that's it i was thinking about this and i was thinking you know it would be weird if if they would go and cling to the doctor right like that would be weird right (laughs) you know but they're the ones who could help yet they come to us now I think there's, there's this idea of instinct. I want to think that every kid is like that. In our family, we're like a hugging family, and we hug almost like five or six times a day all together. My, wa- my daughter, actually, she made um, an alarm like an, on our Google Home. At 6 o'clock, the alarm goes off, and it's hug time. And, uh, you know, she goes through the rooms and I say, hey, it's hug time, it's hug time. So we go and, and we hug and we kiss each other. So part of me, part of me wants to rationalize and say, man, you know, the kids wake up, hug. I drop them to school, hug. Pick them up from school, hug. I put them to bed, hug and kiss. So, yeah, they, they're coming to us in the good times and in the bad times. But there's part of me that says... There is some kind of instinct in every human being that wants to go to the Father. I don't know why, to be honest, maybe as we grow up, we feel like, oh, we got this. We don't need you anymore. Dad, Mom, I'm good, okay? But I don't think that's healthy when it comes to a relationship with God. 
I think that uh, the instinct that we should have, that maybe that it's in us, is that when we're going through pain, that we go to the Father, to our Heavenly Father. He wants to hold us and He wants to say, I love you so, so much. It's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. He wants to whisper in your ear and hold you. And He wants you to cling. He understands that whatever pain you're going through, He understands that, you know, whatever you're going through today or wherever you're going to go through, that that's not the end. You know, in the New Testament, we find that the Apostle Paul was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked, persecuted, and imprisoned. Let me say those again, okay? Beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, persecuted, ridiculed, and imprisoned. And yet, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and 17, he has the audacity to write these words. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Did you catch that? Light and momentary. Light and momentary. You know, I'm going to guess that whatever pain you're going through right now, it doesn't feel like light and momentary. You know, if your heart is wrecked, if you're depressed, if you're all alone, if you feel guilty because of something you have done, if you were abused or you abused somebody, if your health is gone, this do not feel like light and momentary. But Paul is speaking into the future and he knows life can be painful. But he puts our current pain into the perspective of an eternal glory. Our pain into the perspective of an eternal glory. And he says, light and momentary. Light and momentary. Hey guys, young men and young women, when you go through pain, and you will, don't lose heart. Our pain will be redeemed. 